Uh, with that, open your Bibles, if you would, to Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. Last Sunday, my good friend Josh Hawley came and shared. Uh, if, you did, if you weren't here, I heard his message was amazing and super encouraging. Uh, Tam and I celebrated our 29th wedding anniversary last Sunday. And uh, yeah, so um, yes, next year is the big 30, 30 years. So hopefully it'll be in a place different than Fresno for our 30th, because that's where we were. We were in Fresno last week um, and uh, spent some time in LA over the weekend, but we we're back in Fresno on Sunday. So with it, uh, we're in Mark's Gospel chapter 4. Today we're looking at verse 1 through 20. And really today is about learning how to listen well. Uh, maybe you had a coach or a teacher or your family had a meeting together, and you would hear these words from a coach, teacher, dad, mom, listen up, right? Listen up. When you heard that in class or on the field, it meant listen closely to what's about to be said because it is very important. Uh, Jesus begins to teach the crowds uh, in Mark's gospel. He begins to use parables to explain truths about the kingdom of God. Here, they're hearing about the kingdom of God, uh, how to be a part of it, and how a person listens really is all the difference in the world, listening the right way. Jesus is back at the sea. He's in a boat. We think the crowd size could be in the numbers of like 10 to 15,000 people who have gathered now to listen. He has his disciples. There's the religious leaders that said he was demon-possessed that have gathered there. And just a host of people who've gathered. There's a natural amphitheater, if you would, as the shoreline went down and sloped down. And they're all sitting there. He's in a boat. Gave a, gave a great opportunity for, uh, for them to be able to hear these spiritual truths about the kingdom of God. And so we'll begin reading. Uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 1, and we'll stop at verse 13 for now. It says, And again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat, sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower or a farmer went out, to sow. And as he sowed or cast seed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He or she who has ears to hear, let them hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that, or in other words, saying, as a result, he quotes Isaiah here, they may indeed see, but not perceive. And they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? So Jesus begins to teach the crowd's 
in parables, and they're really spiritual truths about the kingdom of God. A parable is a two Greek words smashed together, and it means to cast alongside, if you would. So the idea that uh, to take uh, an earthly story that everyone understood, and it teaches a heavenly meaning if you begin to dig and search for the truth. It's a little story with a big, big message. Uh, these stories that Jesus will share in parables, not only here in Mark's gospel, which you read in Luke and in Matthew's gospel, he shares lots of parables, or Mark records lots of his parables. Uh, they were f- just, you know, familiar stories. Everybody understood what he was talking about. Uh, they were really meant to direct a person's thoughts to God, like to begin to stir their curiosity, to begin to search for the deeper meaning, and God would reveal that truth. Uh, they, they shed light on truths that were maybe uh, pre- previously people were blinded to, the secrets of the kingdom. So he talks about a farmer going out with seeds and casting them on the ground. Again, that was an agricultural world at that time. Uh, everybody had a sticker, ag is my business, right? Uh, they knew what he was talking about here. Farmers, are any farmers here today? Any people that grew up on the farm? Thank you, by the way. Thank you for all the food that we get to consume. Uh, so you guys understand that, but everyone got it. They knew it, man. They could even perhaps even look off into the distance and they would see a farmer with seed. And so he describes where the seed was uh, falling. It says in verse four, some fell on the path. In between people's fields, there were um, you know, a path that had been well-worn over centuries long as people began to walk on them and, and impact the ground. Uh, and so everyone knew like no seed is going to produce any kind of grain there. And they could even have the mental picture. Oh yeah, that's where the birds go and get their food. Thank you, farmer, for being careless today. Verse five, some on the rocky soil. Everyone knew if they didn't prep their soil, they had limestone underneath the dirt uh, anyone, anyone not from Fresno, you moved to Fresno, you're like, oh, I'm going to go plant a tree in my backyard. And you start digging, and there's this thing called hard pan. You know, it's like, it's kids were like, man, we're going to dig to, I don't think we even said, like, we're going to dig down, to, you know, all the way to the uh, core of the earth, you know what I mean, and see if we can get some lava. And then you bang, and you couldn't make it. Or maybe it was Australia. I can't remember where we were trying to get, but somewhere other than, you know, 704 East Birch Street. So you get it. The seed, it sprouted up fast. Maybe even like in your rain gutters, you know what I mean? Springtime comes and all of a sudden you're like, wow, it's like an abundant harvest in my rain gutter. Uh, here's something for free. Get rid of all the dirt in there and it's because they're going to fall and they're going to fall down and you're going to spend a lot of money getting those fixed. Everyone understood that. It grew up really fast. Uh, below the surface, there's layers of rock and so it sprang up but no ability to send any roots down. And it didn't actually ever, you know, um, last. It withered away. Then verse 7, some fell among the thorns. Thorns grow faster than the grain does, right? They always do. And it choked out the seed. It never had a chance to grow. And then it says in verse 8, some fell on the good soil prepared. We all know what that's like. You've got to prepare the soil. You put some fertilizer there, right? You clear out the rocks and you get rid of the thorns. And then you can expect growth. But he gives here crazy kind of growth. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold, and it produced grain in different degrees. And then he gives this warning again. He begins with, listen, listen up. And he wraps it up with, He or she who has ears to hear, anyone with ears to hear, should listen and understand. 
Now he tells the disciples why he's using parables. You know, he'd been sharing the truths about the kingdom of God in very clear language beginning in chapter 1. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. The Messiah is here. The king whom God promised has shown up and arrived, and he's offering the kingdom to those who repent and believe. He'd been sharing very clearly about the kingdom of God, but he switches to parables, and he talks about this. The insiders, they have the secrets of the kingdom. You guys know You guys are those who've sought me out and dug for truth and chosen to believe. But those who are on the outside, they've stiffened their arm. They've actually begun to close their hearts. And so he begins to share in parables. They ask him, what's this parable mean? The disciples wanted the things of God. That's why Jesus spoke to them plainly. The outsiders, he'd often teach in parables, not to blind them, but because they were already blind. As he quotes Isaiah, there's another part of Isaiah, that same chapter, where Isaiah says, For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes, so they, their eyes cannot see. Isaiah wrote that a long time ago about those group of people who didn't want to see. They didn't want to actually uh, be moved The Pharisees in chapter 3, who, by the way, are gathered in this moment, listening to Jesus speak these parables. They had seen the miracles. They had heard the message of the kingdom. They had seen the demon-possessed get freedom. And their assessment of Jesus was not that he's the Messiah, the king who's here to offer the kingdom. He's actually filled with the prince of the demons. He's actually filled with the devil himself. And so Jesus says they've blinded their eyes, and it's meant really to stir up their hearts, to dig for truth. Their hearts have grown dull. Jesus wasn't telling these stories to conceal these truths, but the religious leaders had cemented their thoughts about Jesus, and now they couldn't see. So it is with hearts that are open, right? We come to perceive. Lord, we want to understand, and they see these spiritual truths. A parable would either lead a person to say, I'm going to dig deeper and find the truth and God reveals that truth, or I'm going to turn a blind eye and dismiss it. It's just a story that Jesus is sharing. And so Jesus talks about, really, those on the inside have said, God, I want to know you and your truth. Those on the outside have continued to stiff arm him. And these parables were meant to arouse their curiosity and say, I need to dig deeper and find out what this is actually meaning here. Here's a great question for us. You know, we come to church on a consistent enough basis, right? We're, we're here this morning. Uh, some of you had, had you know, taken um, efforts this year to begin to read your Bible. And it's, inc- you know, t- what a great journey to be on. And by the way, we have, you know, uh, reading plans that are two years long. It's a very uh, realistic approach to reading God's Word from start to finish. Um, but it, it's, it's God's truth right? This is God's word, what we read this morning, what Jesus is proclaiming to this gathering here. But do we actually have ears to hear? Do we actually have a heart that says, God, I really want to hear what you're trying to teach me? Or oftentimes, if you're like me, we sort of pick and choose the things we want God to teach us because we really don't want to change in our heart of hearts. 
want you to think about that for a moment. As Jesus began, listen. And then he wrapped up his parable with, if you have ears, everybody tug on your ear real quick, right? Just like your dad or mom, like, you're coming with me. <laughs> if you have ears to hear, let them hear. Are you open to God speaking to you? Or do you and I just check off the boxes as we open God's word? And we're no different than the Pharisees just saying, you know what, Lord, I, I feel good because I've done my religious deed. I've read your word, but it doesn't penetrate our hearts. You know, in the beginning of chapter four, you'll have like a little a title for the little section. They're super helpful, but that's not in the original manuscript. So like the scroll that Mark was writing on, he didn't say, you know, it'd be a great little theme for this chapter. By the way, there wasn't chapter or verses either. It was just wrote the story of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching us that he's the Messiah. He came to die and he rose from the dead and he offers eternal life to those who would believe. And it says in my Bible, the parable of the sower, but it's really not the parable of the sower. It's the parable of the soil. It's about the soil. That's one word you can cross out in your Bible and not get in trouble with God if you wanted to switch it. The other stuff, like, you know, especially the red letters, if you have a red letter edition, things Jesus says, don't cross that out. You get in a lot of trouble. Read the back of uh, Revelation. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. It's a parable of the sower, or the, the soil. So then Jesus gives them this private little lesson. And he says, guys, this is what this parable is about. Verse 14, the sower, he sows the word. So the seed is equal to God's word, the gospel, the truth of God's word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word so that it is sown, that is sown in them. The key to understanding the parables, Jesus said, is understanding that the seed represents the word. And we also have another key to understand the other parables. The birds that he's talking about represent Satan and his demons. So that's the first uh, soil. He says, and, um, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the one who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but they endure for a while. Then when, notice this, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it, and they bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. Here Jesus gives this private <clears throat> explanation of the parable of the soil. He says, guys, the key to understanding this is that the seed represents God's word, God's truth, the gospel message. The birds, they're the represent Satan and his demons. And here's the soil. The soil represents the human heart. Those who listen well receive the seed, it begins to bear fruit in their lives. There's four, four, four 
soils representing the hearers here. I was about to ask you to say, say toy boat 10 times. Whoever can do that, will you get a, the first snow cone today? Four soils representing hearers, the hearts of men and women. Again, the seeds, the words of the kingdom, how a man or a woman can be saved by hearing the truth, receiving it and entering the kingdom. Like a seed, it can create life and it has infinite potential. The human heart's like soil. It has to be prepared to receive the seeds to take root and produce a harvest. And the idea is the quality of the soil. As I said earlier, ponder this question. Do you and I really have ears to hear God's truth? Is there some deep truth God is trying to instruct you and teach you to bring change and affect your life and in my life? Do we really have ears to hear what God is wanting to say to us? The other question we ask is, what's the quality of our soil, man? Do we have a heart that is ready to receive God's truth and bring change in our lives? Not only bringing salvation to us when we hear God's truth, but bringing maturity and growth as we continue to have a a heart that actually is receptive to God's truth. So Jesus is speaking about the conditions of one's heart, types of soil. And there's four kinds represented here. Really two kinds, but three represent the unfruitful uh, parts of a person's life, the unfruitful soil. Kind of the responses to the gospel. The first is, Jesus says that some listen with a closed heart. That rep- that's the group that is like the seed that is cast along the, uh, the walkways in between the fields. It's been pounded so hard from people walking on it. They listen, but they have a closed heart. They're unable to receive the truth like that part of the ground is unable to receive the seed. And it sits there. And then Jesus tells us that Satan comes along and snatches it away. Does that disturb anybody? <laughs> you think about that for a moment. That there are parts of our world today where a person's heart is so closed off to the things of God that there's a spiritual world that we don't see and understand and this truth gets thrown in their lives confronts their lives and they're so closed off to God that there's this this other equation where the enemy himself as we read in you know the book of Corinthians we read that that he blinds the minds of unbelievers he actually takes the seed away so that they can't believe that actually is a reality. Jesus says some are listening with a closed heart. God confronts a person with truth. They hear God's word. They hear the gospel. There's maybe a moment of clarity where like, oh man, I totally get it. Why you go to church <clears throat> or why you believe what you believe is you explain like this isn't about a religion. This is about the creator of the universe created this world with beauty and purpose and human beings chose to actually disobey him. And that's why there's all this bad stuff in the world because of sin. But God had sent his son to, you know, ultimately bring us back into relationship. And all of a sudden the lights are going off like, wow, that's such a beautiful story of redemption. But I have a closed heart. I don't want to believe it. And if they refuse to respond in a positive way, what Jesus says, they'll ultimately lose it. And the time comes when they can't respond. They hear the truth over and over and over again. They get to that spot where they continue to reject and refuse to accept it. The time comes where they can't respond. How does that happen? Well, it's filled with pride. 
Think about this. To, to come to Jesus, uh, you know, you ever hear those people say like, oh, they, they had like a deathbed conversion, you know what I mean? And then you kind of go like, man, they sort of lucked out. They got to live the way they wanted to live. And then right before they die, they're just like, okay, I'll finally accept Jesus. I don't even know if that's, I don't, I don't even know how often that happens. You basically have to say everything you did was a lie. Everything you believed was a lie your entire life. And now you're finally coming to the truth. You're going to respond. Pride keeps so many people from God's kingdom. I don't want to believe. Stubbornness. They shut their minds to the truth. They, they're closed to the things of God. God's truth isn't relevant to them. They say things like, I don't need a savior. And the truth can't penetrate that heart because they know everything. How many of you guys have a family? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Just give me like a, you know what I mean? A little twitch. Grab your ear. <laughs> I feel like an auctioneer right now. Neil, soul to you right over there. <laughs> they keep shutting out the life-saving message of the gospel. You know, I think that sometimes, you know, we read this parable. I think there's some application that some of us can listen to God's word, even as a follower of Jesus, with a closed heart. Where you just stubbornly say, God, I'm not going to listen to you in this area of my life. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to close my heart off to this part that you're trying to bring change. Here's the second group. He says, some listen with a shallow heart. They have a shallow, there's no, the, the roots can't go down deep. But he says they spring up with like vibrancy. Immediately they spring up, right? Like, you know, the top of a rooftop that maybe has some seeds that some birds dropped and the rain comes and all of a sudden you're like, man, I got grass on top of my roof. But then the sun comes and scorches it away. That's this, Reference here, some are listening with a shallow heart. You guys remember back in the day where they made us run a mile? Like they actually, we want to know like how fit is America? Are you guys old enough to remember that you had to do a mile and a half? Kasner, we had to do six times around that dirt track, right? And all like my mod friends that wore trench coats and had Vespas, smoking cloves, they like make one lap, then they were done. They would fall off. (laughs) Did anyone have like, did anybody have like a Vespa with a trench coat back in the day? Nope. I didn't either. My mom wouldn't let me. So anyways. And you just like start out so strong. You're like, oh, I'm faster than that. Or when I was, uh, you know, exercising at New Era CrossFit, one of the best CrossFit gyms in the city. And then there'd be some young guy. Do you guys remember when I had a boot on my foot and I tore my calf? True story. There's this young guy that just got out of the military. He and his wife are there. He's my son's age. I can whip him. That's what I thought in my head. And Tammy's like, you know what? You're going to get hurt. Literally, it's on video of her saying, you need to stop trying to keep up with this young guy. You're going to get hurt. And then I have a tear in my soleus muscle that took a year and a half to finally repair. Stubbornness and pride. I listened with a closed heart to my wife. And then he's there. I'm like, oh, I could take these guys. And then they start the workout. I'm like, oh, I still got it, right? And then I get a minute in and my heart's like going, abort, abort, abort. Like, stop, stop, help me, Tom Cruise. You know what I mean? I'm just like crying out for help. This is it, emotional response. Oh, this is so great. Everybody's wonderful at the church. The youth group's great. The girls are hot. 
the, you know, all the things that, you know, young man's like, oh, I just love Jesus. I think we all might have friends that kind of started out like that. Make a superficial commitment to the Lord. But then they fizzle out. And Jesus said the reason was is because hard times start showing up in their life because of the word. The, the, the call to follow Jesus will cost you your whole life. It's a life of laying down. The, the, you know what real worship is? According to Romans chapter 12, it's not the simple singing out and declaring praise. That's part of worship, right? But real worship is, he says, to, to, to uh, lay your body down as a living sacrifice on a daily basis, right? This is your true spiritual worship. It'll cost you your life. When they begin to understand the cost of being a follower of Jesus, Jesus says that the road is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. He says, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. The pressure of the friends. Oh, wow, you're a follower of Jesus now? This is partly the fault of, of, of American Christianity where we communicate the gospel in such a way, come to Jesus, he's going to make your life beautiful and easier. You're going to have better friends. You'll have whiter teeth. You'll marry someone wonderful, right? All these things that we, you know, kind of dangle out. Oh, just accept Jesus. And you get the Ginzu knife set. You know what I mean? He's married, it's like, it's just like it's, well, what else you guys got? You know what I mean? Like you're signing up for, you know, direct TV. Well, do I get the, you know, NFL package? Okay, Jesus, you can come into my heart. That's not the gospel. Then Jesus says to the crowd in one of the other gospels, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed. You know, many rejectors of the gospel, many that have podcasts and, and uh, websites that you try to persecute the church or the gospel or discount the message, they were ones at some point that got bitter because life got hard as a follower of Jesus and they fell away. They never truly believed. Many people, you might even have family members that are so opposed to God and the gospel and you go, man, you know, you once believed this, but you face the hard times that come as a follower of Jesus. Jesus is not a bonus feature for your life. It's not like a, an upgrade on your car. In Nintendo 64 fran, fans, it's, it's, you know, Mario Kart, you hit that mushroom and then boom, you just start zooming along, right? Just, you could just move faster through life. You have an edge because you have Jesus in your life. Guys, he's not a bonus feature. He's the Lord of all creation. Mark's been trying to tell us through these 16 chapters of his gospel that he's the Messiah, the promised king. And your only response is, my only appropriate response is, is to lay my life down and enter his kingdom and allow it to take over my tiny little kingdom that I've been building. That's what he's talking about here. Do we listen with a shallow heart? The next group it's, it's number three is some listen with a crowded heart. This perhaps the most troubling for us because it covers a large number of people in the church in America. They receive the word. We receive the word. And it begins to take, 
root in our life and it begins to develop there in our life. But the thorns are there too and they grow fast. And Jesus says, it's the cares of this world. It's the deceitfulness of riches. It's the desire for other things and they enter in. There's a love for God in that person's heart but a desire to serve him, but also resides in them a desire for the world and the things of the world. And we'll never achieve all that God has for us. You know, his desire is that you and I would be fruitful in our lives, to bear fruit that would remain. But they never achieve all that God would have for them because they're deceived, chasing things, as if, as if those things actually ultimately bring satisfaction Deep in our soul, the deceitfulness of riches. He's, he's not saying, so none of you should ever have wealth. That, that, would, that would discount every human in America, by the way, when you look at what people live on in the rest of the world. But the deceitfulness, it's not that, you, it's not that a person has wealth, it's that wealth has them. They can't be generous. It's got their life. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Money is a good servant, but a terrible master, according to Jesus. And they get pulled in that direction, and the thorns grow, and it chokes out any chance for their life to bear fruit. This world is the number one priority for that person, not living for the things of the kingdom. I see it. I feel it. I get it. I think all of us, when we read that one, go, man, I have some thorns in my life. I've got thorns that are trying to choke out what God's wanting to bear fruit in my life. That's why so much in the New Testament gives us a heads up. You know, John, uh, one of the disciples, he wrote, he, he wrote the Gospel of John. He also wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. You're like, you couldn't have thought of a sequel, better name for your sequel letters? <laughs> and then he wrote the book of Revelation. And he said something interesting to the, to the group of Christians in, in his first letter, 1 John chapter 2. He says, do not love this world or the things it offers you. He wasn't speaking of, hey, like, you know, take down those pictures of the ocean. Like, that, you know, you're too, you're too, like, overwhelmed by the beauty of God's creation. It's not talking about, it's talking about the systems of this world. The systems of this world that operate in direct opposition to God and his kingdom. He says, do not love this world nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world... You do not have the love of the Father in you. <clears throat> for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. Park there. The thorns he's talking about is if that is the, what your attention in your life is directed towards. The pride of life, the desire for things, the craving for everything we see and living for just physical pleasures. He says, <clears throat> these are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But everyone who does what pleases God will live forever. We feel that tension, don't we? By the way, when John says, do not love this world, literally, in the original language, he says, stop loving this world. He's talking to Christians. This isn't a this is a prerequisite. Stop loving the world, then you can start loving Jesus and enter his kingdom. He's talking about people that are followers of Jesus already. And he's saying, guys, this is why you won't bear fruit in your life. You know, the argument goes, is, is which, which one of the uh, soils 
is actually a follower of a real person who's saved, right? Let's just use language that we might use in America. Which group is saved? Well, we know the last one is a saved person, right? They receive the word. It takes root in their life. It begins to bear fruit. Clearly, Jesus is saying that's the end goal. That's what we want our hearts to be receptive like uh, as followers of Christ. But this third one can be a Christian. But what does it even matter at the end of their life the only thing they did for was live for the things of this world. And their life didn't bear fruit. They weren't salt. They weren't light. Nobody experienced any kind of blessing because they were in this world, because they were just in this world like the rest of our world, which is just a taker and chasing after all this world offers. There's no time for Bible study anymore, no time for prayer life, no commitment to church. And they never bear fruit. There's a, a dude by the name of Demas. We don't want to see that on the roster uh, of our kids' ministry. Demas, not a kid. Do y'all have a name that you're just like, we could never name our kid this because you just knew like a naughty kid with that name? Do you have a name? You're like, you're like yeah, we had that. And we're like, oh, no, 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 I had a friend and his name was that. No, so no, 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 no. We could. So those were like off our list of, you know, and we had three boys. So we were like, you know, half of the names were like, well, we're stuck here pick another one because that was a naughty naughty kid Demas he's a good dude he was with Paul he's mentioned three times in the New Testament Demas is with us and he greets you Paul would say you know another time Paul mentions Demas at the end of a letter that he wrote to a group of Christians and it was an affirmative of Demas is here he's with you and he greets you the last time we hear about Demas is in 2nd Timothy And here's what Paul says about Demas. He says, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. You know what's so crazy? As I think right now, it's so easy to take an inventory of other people's lives right now. And your mind might even go there and go, oh yeah, there's Demas right now, out on the golf course instead here, here at church, right? Oh, there's Demas, no longer caring about the things of God. You want to you know the secret to having a healthy life? Stop taking inventory of other people's lives. I think Jesus says something about that. Stop caring about the speck of dust in your friend's eye and take the log. I forget, we don't have kids ministry today. Take the log out of your own eye. What a great mental picture. Like, oh my gosh, look at the dust in your eye. Oh my, you need you some repentance is what you need. Demas, my friend, is like, as a, as, a, as a man, you and I, as a human being, we still have a pilot light that is still lit for this world. It's that flesh part of our life. And if you feed it, it will explode into a ball of flame and bring destruction in your life. Instead of going... Lord, oh, my friends, they're just Demas. That's a good name for those guys. You know what I mean? How about like, Lord, I need you to help me put to death the Demas in me that still wants some of the thorns to keep growing because I just don't want to deal with them. I don't want them to go away in my life. They're like our precious thorns. You know what I mean? But it's choking out what God wants to do in our lives. The fourth group is some listen with open hearts. 
Some listen with open hearts. Matthew says of this same parable that they understand and they believe the gospel. Mark 4 tells us that they accept it and it's a part of them now. Luke 8 of the same parable says they hold fast to it and they obey God's word. And the result is a life of bearing fruit, a rich relationship with Christ, transforming relationship with him and God using that person to be fruitful. The book of Acts is this being lived out. The book of Acts, the seed was spread and thousands of people believed and then more people believed because those people began to bear fruit in their life. God changed their life and they began to go grab others and bring them to the Bible study because my life's been changed. God's going to change your life and they begin to scatter seed all around. We still see it today. Someone listens with an open heart. They bring others to church. Their friends get saved. Their families get saved because they too listen with an open heart to what God is speaking to them. It's not the message. It's not the seed. The issue is the readiness of the hearer. Have you ever thought, how come, how come when I went to church and I heard I believed, but the same people, my friends, they listen to the same message? Maybe a sibling of yours. Like, how are you not getting this? They're just not listening with an open heart. God needs to break up that hardened ground, and he breaks it up with hardship and difficulty, right? I've never met a person who won the lottery and then said, next I need to follow Jesus with my life. I always hear like, well, my whole world got rocked and crud start kept happening. And I'm like, there's got to be more to this life. I can't do it on my own. I need Jesus. Well, he breaks up the hardened ground in our hearts. It speaks to this condition of our heart. So important that we guard our hearts. We don't let it get crowded. To stay in a place where we're fruitful. I, I was going to ask you another question. Do you, do, you have some, do you have some thorns in your life right now? that are keeping you from actually growing and bearing fruit? Is there an area of your life that you just go, you know what, I'm not going to address that even though I know it is the reason why I'm not growing as a Christian. Write it down. You don't, have, don't write it down. Don't post it on Instagram today. Like, here's who I am. But write it down and say, Lord, would you help me grow in this area? Lord, maybe get some accountability. Hey, would you pray for me? Here's an area of my life that's really just thorns that are choking out what God really wants to do and bring in my life. To stay in a place where our hearts are always ready to receive God's word and let it take root in our life. You know, this parable speaks, it speaks about how a person is saved. See, gets scattered. It's just amazing. You just go like, wait a minute, you heard a message, you believed, and now you're a part of God's kingdom. It's that simple. The parable speaks of how we're saved. A person hears God's word, they accept it, they believe, and they're saved. It also speaks how we grow and mature, hearing God's word, letting it take root, allowing God's word to continue to work in our lives as we hear it, accept it, and obey it. Keep planting God's truth in your mind. I, cannot, I can't express enough. The most important discipline in your life will be not that you flossed, it will be that you actually consumed God's word on a consistent, regular basis because you never know when that seed's going to sprout and give you exactly what you need in that season of your life. Jonah's a great example. In the middle of the belly of the fish, down in the bottoms of the sea where he felt the, the you know, like barrel squeezed out of him, all the air's going out of him. And he begins to quote Psalm 86. You go like, 
Wow, dude, good job, mom, tucking that word away in Jonah's heart as he begins to pray God's truth, which brings deliverance to him. You never know when you're going to need it. Keep planting that seed there. It also speaks to how we share the gospel, guys. We scatter, we share, but we can't control how it's received. Be a person that's like always wanting to plant seeds in people's lives. You never know which person it's going to start taking root in. We don't get to play that judge of going like, nah, you'll never believe, so I'm not going to talk to you about the Lord. I had people like that in my life, like they are never going to believe. And then they showed up in high school at my church. I'm like, oh, oh, I hope the security's ready. And then they go forward and they get saved. I'm like going, what? I can't believe. God, you're that powerful. <laughs> and everyone thought the very same thing about me when I showed up at people's church 30-something years ago. Our job is to share the good news in the power of God's Spirit and leave the results to God. He's preparing his disciples for the challenges ahead. Guys, you're going to go out and spread the seed, and there's going to be a lot of people that are going to reject, reject it. It's not going to take root. Don't be discouraged. Keep planting, because guess what? Fruit is going to emerge as people hear the good news of Jesus, the message of Jesus that he saves, that People have sinned. There's no one who's righteous enough to earn their way to God's kingdom. Guys, this is why we exist as a church. You know, on your way out today, it says knowing Jesus and making him known. That's, that's our, our mission. That's our purpose is to help people know Jesus and to make him known in this community. I asked you a lot of questions to ponder today. Here's a final one. Who's in your life right now that God is saying, I want you to plant seeds of the gospel in their life? Maybe invite them to church, invite them to our luau so that they might come and hear and explore the claims of Jesus and let God's word, the seed, begin to take root in their life. Maybe share your story with them. But for the love of all that is good and holy in this life, do not be one who lives your entire life without sharing the good news with somebody that God keeps putting in your life. It's not the work of pastors or evangelists it's the work of people who god has changed and there's someone at your work right now that god's put on your mind someone in your life man go and share with them it's you don't have to be weird about it you just say hey man i just want to tell you the things that god is doing in my life hey have you ever thought about the claims of jesus you know you don't have to dress up and go knock on their door and say hi you know it's like no soliciting no jw's whatever it is that would be showing up just normal. I want to share what God is doing in my life. Do it this week. Do it this week and watch how God's word begins to take root in their life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you once again, God, for just an opportunity for us to gather today. Lord, thank you for uh, allowing us to gather at this school. Uh, Lord, for the favor that we've had with Clovis Unified for all these years, Lord, and continue favor with this current staff, uh, Lord, and uh, we are looking forward Lord, to this fall when we are able to welcome our families back, have kids ministry fully open again, that we might be able to love on our community, love on our congregation, Lord, that isn't with us today. Lord, love on one another, God. Teach our kids in an age-appropriate way who you are, Lord, and what life looks like, you, uh, look, looks like following after you. And Lord, I pray that you would bless each one of us today, God, to be men and women Young people, Lord, kids that would listen up, listen well, Lord. That we would listen, that we might 
hear your truth, God, and allow it to really change us at the core level of who we are. Lord, we thank you for today. I pray blessings on our church family. God, bless us as we ponder your truth, Lord. Read it this week. And Lord, as we seek to scatter seed in our community, Lord, we pray that we would see fruit, crazy harvests, Lord, like we see here in Mark's gospel, like we see in the book of Acts, Lord. We love you. We thank you for today, God. We pray blessings on our week and all that you would have us do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.